We're going to talk about joy today. I'm sorry, guys, tech guys, I forgot to send you the sermon title. It is The Joy of Jesus. We're going to talk about the joy of Jesus today, and we're just going to spend the whole time talking about joy from the Bible. I think joy is a good thing. When I pause, you need to grunt. All right. I think joy is wonderful. Uh, Normally, you don't associate joy with church. I don't understand why that is. I don't understand why in them saloons last night, they were singing and hollering, having a grand time. They want heartbeat away from hell. We're the ones ought to be celebrating. But be that as it may, we're going to talk about joy today. All righty. I don't know if you knew this or not. I'm going to talk so simple today that a child can understand it. God created joy. Amen. He owns it. I don't know if you knew this or not, but if, if your body falls, if you're a believer and your body falls over in an instant, you're standing in the presence of God in a new body. All right, 2 Corinthians 5, we know that if this body's destroyed, we have a brand new body in the heavenly not. In an instant, you're standing in front of him. What's the first thing that'll hit you? You will be overwhelmed with the joy of God. Psalm 1611 says this, in the presence of God is fullness of joy. Any place around him is just joy. Right. Was the spirit of God is the spirit of joy. Yeah. That's why Jesus said, rejoice in the Lord always. Be full of joy always. Anywhere he is, there's joy. Amen. Makes me wonder if he's in a lot of churches. Amen. A lot of preachers. But the, the deal is, the thing that you over... Heaven is pure joy. Yeah. Just, just It's waves of joy. And he's the author of joy. He's the creator of joy. And he dispenses it freely. All right, we're going to look in John chapter 15. But let me tell you something about John 15. This is the last teaching Jesus gave on the earth. Does anybody remember something called the Last Supper? It's the last meal he ever ate on earth. Right after, which is John chapter 13. John chapters 14, 15, and 16 are immediately, he's still sitting at the table, is right after the Last Supper. It's the last teaching he gives on earth. And then he's arrested a few hours later and killed. So God, this is the last thing he ever says on earth. And in this teaching, he says, I'm going to go away, but I'll come back. But I'm going to give you my spirit. My spirit will encourage you. He'll teach you. I'll be with you in spirit. But I want you to look at something he says in this last teaching he gives in John chapter 15. John chapter 15, verse 11, Jesus said this. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and your joy may be full. I want you to look at that verse right there. Jesus said, I want you to have the joy in you that I have in me, and I want you to be what? Full of joy. I want you to look at these words, first words in there. These things I've spoken unto you. What do we call that today? The words Jesus spoke then, what do we call today? The Bible. He spoke these words, we wrote them down. It's called the Word of God or the Bible. Look at that verse, tell me why the Bible's written. The Bible is written so you could have the joy of Jesus in you. The Bible's written so you could live in fullness of joy. I'm going to tell you something. He's real big on joy. And uh, let me go a little bit further here. Now, John 13 is the last supper. 14, 15, 16 are the last teaching. John 17 is the last prayer he ever prayed on the earth. It's the greatest prayer he ever prayed. It's called the Lord's Prayer. It's the greatest prayer he ever prayed. I want you to turn to a page to the right. John 17. This is the last prayer he ever prayed. And in this prayer, he prays for his people. And he's prayed for you in this prayer. Because he said, in this prayer, I pray not only for these standing here, I pray for everyone who will ever believe in me. So Jesus prayed some things for you in this prayer. Last prayer ever prayed on earth. I want you to look at one of the things he prayed for for you. John 17, 
Verse 13 says this. But now I come to you, he's talking to his father, I come to you, these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Amen. Last thing he ever said was, I want you to have my joy in you. And then the last prayer ever prayed, he said, Father, I want them to have the joy of heaven inside of them. I want them to have my joy full in them. So I want to make an announcement. He's big on joy. And he wants you to have joy. And he wants you to know joy. All right, so we're going to talk about joy today. If, if the Bible said in John 15, 11, that these things I've spoken that you might have joy in you, my joy in you, then the Bible holds the secret to true joy. Amen. I mean, it's in here, all right? <clears throat> now, I said the secret to true joy. Joy must be a secret today. Because <laughs> according to my, I got two favorite posters, Mr. Gallup and Mr. Barna. And Mr. Gallup says today, let me tell you what he says, and he polls Americans for the, about their lives. Mr. Gallup says that joy, happiness, joy, happiness, is at an all-time low today in America. I thought technology is supposed to bring us into the age of nirvana. I thought technology is supposed to make us happier than we've ever been. What's wrong? We got more money than we've ever had. Why are, we not, why are we the least happy we've been in a long time? If you're young, listen to what I'm fixing to say. You know, anything, any, most of you are younger than me. The 1960s. Go back and watch TV shows from the 1960s. You know what you saw? You saw people smiling. Life was simple. They were happy. Andy, Barney, Goober. Look at old pictures from the 50s, 60s. People were happy. They're smiling. What do you see today? There's a heaviness on people. We've lost our joy in this nation. The Bible said in Isaiah 61, a spirit of heaviness would come across the land and steal the joy. Guess who came to steal, kill, and destroy? Jesus came that you might have an abundant life. And one of the things the thief steals is he steals the joy of the Lord from his people. Now, I've had preachers say, well, it's not that important. Yes, it is. Let me tell you why happiness and joy is so important. I'm going to give you three reasons from the Bible that happiness and joy are so important in your life. Number one, if you don't have his joy in you, it's hard to enjoy your life. If you want to enjoy your life, you've got to have joy in you. That's why it's called enjoy. Number two, you know what this book teaches if you go through a hard time, it is the joy of the Lord that gets you through it. Amen. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, listen to this. Do not be sorrowful because the joy of the Lord is your strength. We're going to go through some hard times in this nation. I don't need for everything around me to be right. I need the joy of Jesus inside of me. It is the joy of the Lord, the Spirit of God, that gets you through difficult times. I can stand anything if I got the joy of Jesus brewing in me. So joy is very important because the joy of the Lord is your strength for difficult times. Reason number three, Matthew 5, 14 says you're the light of the world. The joy of Jesus is the greatest witness for Jesus on the earth. See if you agree with what I'm fixing to say. Christians who are mad, crabby, depressed, complaining, whining, moaning, don't you want what they got? When people are crabbing and moaning and sad, don't you just say whatever they got, I want it. Looks more like COVID than Jesus. But when I get around a believer and there's a quiet, there's a joy about them, there's a happiness about them, I just think to myself, self, I want what they got. Yeah. It, it is not knowing theology. It is glowing in the dark that is the greatest witness for Jesus. That's why he said you're the light of the world. He didn't say you're the encyclopedia of the world. He said you're the light of the world. So go light your world. I think it's very important. All right. <clears throat> now, let me say something from Scripture here before we look at this. True joy is a mystery. 
It's a serendipity. You know what I mean by that? It's not where you think you'd find it. Does anybody remember an old hymn we used to sing years ago called Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places? We used to sing it on bar stools, looking for love in all the wrong places. Let me tell you what Americans are doing today. We're looking for happiness in all the wrong places. Money cannot make you happy. This isn't hard. We haven't figured this out yet. Lady told me the other day about her daughter, said she's divorced, got away from a bad man. I said, well, that's good. And she said, I hope she can find a man that'll make her happy. And I thought, you're delirious. A man that can make you happy? Are you serious? Some of us watch some of you laughing. Are you serious? Let me, let me teach you about marriage. Let me teach you something about marriage. Marriage is a bring your own happiness party. If you go into marriage looking for happiness, you're going to be wearing a dunce cap for a long. There was you, I used to tell kids, marry somebody with character, marry somebody who's got a vision, marry somebody who's driven. Now I just tell them, find somebody that's happy and hang on to them. Marriage is a bring your own happiness party. Matter of fact, if you look for happiness anywhere except Jesus, you're going to be in trouble in this land now. It's a, it's a serendipity, meaning this. Where you go looking for it, you're not going to find it. And where Jesus says you'll find it was, is one of the last places you'd look for it. You know, you know what I mean by that? It's a mystery. It's a serendipity. Which means where you think you'll find it, we won't. Because we're not finding happiness in this nation where we thought we would. But this book will tell you where to find it true joy and true strength that comes from heaven like that. All righty. <clears throat> We're in the book of John. Turn back a few pages to John chapter 12. This is one of the most mysterious things Jesus ever said. And when you read it, your intellect's going to go, that ain't right. But listen to me, God's right. And the Bible's the secret to life. If you've got questions for life, the Bible's got the answers. John chapter 12 <clears throat> is where Jesus gives the secret to true joy, one of them. And I want you to read these words with me. They're a little unusual, but let's read them. John 12, verse 24. John 12, 24. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat, and the Greek word here means corn, unless a grain of wheat or corn falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain or fruit. You say, what has that got to do with life or happiness or anything else? Remember, Jesus tells parables. Now, you understand this. Even if you're not a farmer, you can get this. I take one kernel of corn, I put it on the refrigerator, and I leave it there. Guess how much corn I'm getting out of that kernel? Zero. But if I take that same kernel, stick it in warm, moist ground, in 90 days, I'll have 900 kernels because it'll grow a stalk. There'll be three heads on that stalk, and there's about 300 kernels on each head. The way you get something to make something, it has to die. See, the kernel, you put it in the ground, the outer shell dies and cracks and something comes out of that death. Well, you know, he's not talking about farming here. He's talking about me. Let's read the next verse. 25. He who loves his life is going to lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it. If you're going to serve me, verse 26, you've got to follow me. Here it is, dear ones. I'm, I'm going to put it in the language you can understand. <clears throat> you want to find true happiness? You have to die to self. And you have to live to follow Jesus. The die, he's not talking about your corn dying. He's talking about you dying. So I don't want to die. I'm not talking about your heart stop beating. I'm talking about you're going to have to get off the throne. Yeah. And it can't be you first anymore. You have to die to self, put Jesus first, and let him run your life. This is just, uh, I, let, me, let me put it, let me make it even simpler than that. Your day-to-day -day walking around life, you got to get your mind off you 
I want to ask you a question. What percentage of the time is our mind on us? Six? Eight? Sixty-eight? What percentage of the time do we spend thinking, he don't meet my needs? They don't understand. I wanted this steak cooked better than that. They need to get the hell out of my way. That's driving. What percentage of our time is spent with me thinking about me, my needs, and what I want? What percentage? You've got to die to that. You have to get yourself off your mind. And what does it mean follow Jesus? You have to start doing what he did. You've got to get you off your mind and start doing what he did. All right, there's a verse in the Bible that captures what Jesus did every moment of his life better than any other verse in the Bible. It's Acts 10, 38. Turn to the book of Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. Then the secret to finding true happiness is to get yourself off your mind and get something else on your mind. Acts chapter 10, verse 38 is the verse in the Bible that captures the day-to-day walking around life of Jesus like no other verse does. All right, if you read the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and you follow Jesus in his daily life, that man got up every morning and did what? Thought about himself, worried about himself, considered himself. What did he do every day of his life? Acts 10, 38. How Jesus, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth who went about doing good, healing all who were beat up by the devil because God was with him. I'm going to put this in language you can understand. When Jesus woke up in the morning, he did not think about his breakfast, his needs, his plans, his bursitis. Of course, he never had any. Every moment of his life, he thought about what can I do for them? His daily walking about day-to-day, moment-by-moment life was always looking at people. You can't look at people's needs and think about your own needs at the same time. You can't be caring about the needs of people and obsessed with yourself at the same time. Something got to die. Guess what it means? You got to fall on the ground. Listen, until you fall on the ground and die to yourself, and it doesn't mean you don't take care of yourself. We're going to see that. It just means you're not obsessed with what you want anymore. Your needs, the way you, them stupid people should think like I think. No, they shouldn't. We should all think like Jesus thinks. But Jesus spent every moment of his life watching people. What do they need? What can I do? That one's sick, I'll heal them. That one's lonely, I'll hug them. That one's having trouble with religion, I'll rescue them. That one needs a friend, I'll be a friend. He was obsessed with helping people. That's what he did every moment of his life. And that is the simple, simple put secret to life. It's just a... It's a serendipity of happiness. All right, let me, Paul, I'm going to do a time out here and talk about happiness. Now, some of my preacher friends, bless their dear sad hearts. <clears throat> I, I've heard them say this many times. Well, you know, joy and happiness are not the same thing. Joy is this. Listen, they're close enough. Can I get a witness to say close enough? I want to say to them preachers, you ain't got neither one. You could use a good dose of both of them. All right, let's just settle this issue. I believe God's interested in your happiness. Turn with me to Psalm 144. Psalm 144. Don't ask the preachers, ask, ask God. I mean, you go straight to the book, you own one. Psalm 144, let's find out if happiness is a big deal or not. Psalm 144. You need to remember these verses in case anybody frowns at you. Psalm 144 says this. There was the secret to happiness is in the Bible. Your head's going to argue with it, but you can't argue with the truth of God. Psalm 144, verse, last verse in Psalm 144, verse 15. Psalm 144, 15. 
Happy are the people who are in such a state. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. Where's happiness come from? Putting Jesus in charge of your life. You say, well, I want to run my own life. Be miserable. I say, Listen, it's your life. You can get to do whatever you want to with it. Where does happiness come from according to that verse? Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. So I see two things in here. I see that my father wants me to be happy in life. Surely more than two people can see that. I see that my father wants me to be happy in life. And I see that he's shown me how to do it. Turn the page. Psalm 146, I believe it's verse 5. It is. Psalm 146, 5. Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord is God who made heaven and earth. You can't even make an omelet without burning it. He made heaven and earth. What do you see? Put them three verses together. What do you see? Happy are the people in such a state. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. Happy are the people whose hope is in the Lord. What does that say? Happy, happy, happy. Right there it is. You know what he wants his people to be happy. And it comes from putting Jesus first in our lives, letting him run the show. That This is not hard at all. Now, let me answer a question from Scripture. Why have we got so much stuff today? Why with the technology? We got more money than any nation's ever had today. We got more stuff than we've ever had. Why is happiness so low? Happiness doesn't come from that stuff. The Bible is very clear as to why happiness is an all-time low. Let me show you why it is. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Turn me to 2 Timothy 3 where the Bible defines what happened to happiness. All right. Now the Bible talks about the latter days. And we're living in the latter days or the last days. I, and I, I don't know whether he's coming back tonight or 100 years from now, but we are in what the Bible calls the latter days. Right, let me tell you what the Bible said about the last days before Jesus came back. It's in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. It says this, Know this, guys and gals, if your father wants you to know something, he says, know this, know this, that in the last days, stressful times will come. You want to argue? You want to argue with me that we're living in difficult, stressful days on the earth? What did the Bible say was going to happen? That times would be very stressful in the latter days. We're living in those days. And then it goes on to tell us the reason times are going to be so stressful. And it lays out about a dozen things. Now listen to me. Has nothing to do with disease. Has nothing to do with money. Every single one is about human attitudes. And it said times on the earth are going to be so tough because of the attitudes. How many of you know attitude is the big deal? Can bad attitudes make for a rough time? They sure can. Uh, And he said this. What's the first attitude that he mentions? Know this, that in the latter days, stressful times will come because people will become lovers of self. What's our word for it? Selfish, self-centered. It's all about me. Lovers of self means it's all about me. I want my way. I want everybody to listen to me. I want everybody to do what I say. I want what I want. What happens, in a, what happens in a marriage when you get two people and they're very self-centered and both of them want their way? You can have a stressful marriage. It's going to be a rough marriage. What happens in a home when you get four, five, six people in a house and all of them want what they want? What's going to happen? Self-centered. What's going to happen? That's going to make for a rough house. What happens in a nation when everybody in that nation wants it done their way? And if they don't get their way, they'll burn the place down. Stressful times come. So what does the Bible say is the root of difficult times? Selfishness. What's the opposite of selfishness? 
dying to self, living to serve people. And we're living in those self-shuffle times. That's how. Then we have got to get ourselves off our minds and get to looking around us at other people. All right, I think I've told you my favorite people in the world are waitresses. I love waitresses. I love to talk to waitresses. And I love, one of the things I love to ask waitresses is about the Sunday crowd. That Sunday crowd, you know they go to church because they got their uniform on. And I love to ask them. I, love, I just ask waitresses anytime I'm around them, especially on a Sunday, how about the church crowd? Are they nice? No. Guess what I hear every time? Dear ones, if anybody ought to be like Jesus, it ought to be those who follow Jesus. Can I get a witness? Amen. All right, I'm, sorry, I'm not going to tell you where I was at, but it was in an Outback Steakhouse a little while back. <laughs> and we're sitting in this booth and we're eating and it's a little slow that day. And maybe no things can be slow. It's because the waitresses wanted it to be slow and they planned it that way. <laughs> you dumber brick. No. <clears throat> and there's this man and this woman sitting at a table. I could almost reach them right here beside us. All right, I'm doing my business with my family. It's a little slow that day. And they'd been to church. I knew they'd been to church because they had their uniforms on. And you could tell he was about as used to wearing a suit was as I was running in my birthday suit. He looked out of place with it. And she had on her church dress and they're sitting there. And she's mad because it's slow and she's crabbing and she's fussing. And he's wishing she'd go away. And she's just crabbing and going on. And she's hurting the waitress's feelings. And I'm thinking, it is Sunday. I'm fixing to preach. Now, the waitress can't say anything because she'll get fired. They ain't firing me. I'll preach for free in there. And I'm getting irritated with her because she's being so ugly. Now, listen, if she'd had a Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers t-shirt on, it wouldn't bother me a bit. You know, if she'd had a Hootie and the Blowfish shirt, it wouldn't have bothered me at all. But she had her church clothes on. She was announcing to the world, we done been to church, now I'm acting like a jackass in a restaurant out here. And she's being ugly to this waitress. And I'm getting ill about it. I'm fixing to it. I said, <laughs> I mean, it's to add water. I'll preach anytime. Just, I'm fixing to go. And then, she finally gets done and she gets ready to leave. She can't get up. She did. She rocked and she rocked and she couldn't get up. And then she went off on the waitress. You've made me sit here so long I can't get up. That's all I could take right there. I explained. You can't get up. It ain't because you've been sitting in that chair long. It's because how much you got sitting in that chair. That's the reason you can't get up is what it is. Now, let me say again. I mean, if, if she'd had a Bon Jovi t-shirt on, which that would have been cool, I wouldn't have said a word. But when you're representing Jesus and you're crabbing and being hateful to people, it is time for a healing in that house. Can I get a witness? You, you know what it was all about? All about me. All about me. It's all stress. That poor waitress was having a stressful time because somebody was loving themselves. What did Jesus say? Die to yourself. And listen, her misery had nothing to do with the clock on the wall. It had to do with the fact that she could not see beyond her own belly. Of course, that cut. All right. Romans 8, 26 says this. It's all about your mind. The mind set on self equals misery. But the mind set on the things of Jesus is life and peace. I'm going to quote that again. That's Romans. The mind that is set on itself, it's all about me, is misery. You know why Americans are miserable? It's not because they won't get out of your way. It's not because they won't do what you want. It's because you're self-absorbed. But the mind that's set on the mind of Jesus, which is simply this, it ain't about me. It's about them. Finds life and peace.
This isn't hard. I probably shouldn't have told that in church, but I did, so, so be it. All right. You want to be happy, happy, happy? Turn with me to John chapter 13. We're close enough. John 13. Now, John 13, outside of the cross, this is the most unusual passage in the Bible to me. Most uh, surprising. All right? If John 14, 15, and 16 are the last teaching Jesus ever gave, if John 17 is the last prayer ever prayed, John 13 is the last dinner he ever ate. It's called the Last Supper. And they eat this Last Supper. Uh, it was a celebration supper. You know, we celebrate communion. This is where we get it from. And he gets done with the supper. He does one of the most unusual things. I want you to look at what Jesus did. <clears throat> uh, verse 3, John 13, 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, he came from God. He's fixing to go back to him. He rose from supper, laid aside his coat, took a towel, and girded himself poured water in a pan and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them off with the towel that he had around him. You got it? So they get done eating. <clears throat> Jesus just gets up and takes off his teaching robe and he gets a pan of water and a towel and he goes around and he starts washing their dirty feet. Got 12 guys there. Now, this was not a religious ritual. He washed their feet because they were dirty. We don't do this today because we, you know, we, we wear socks and shoes. Back then you wore sandals and you walked on dirt roads. And it was customary if you went in somebody's house to eat that the slave, the servant, the lowest servant would wash everybody's feet just to refresh them. It was, no, it was not a, nothing religious about it. It was, just a, it was just helping you out. So Jesus begins to do this. And he's washing their feet. Well, Simon couldn't handle it. Verse 6, he came to Simon. Peter said to him, Lord, are you, you washing my feet? Jesus said, what I'm doing, you don't understand, but I'll explain it to you in a minute. Peter said, you will never wash my feet. Was Simon being ugly? I do the same thing. You see, they knew this is God Almighty. They had a, he told them, this is, they watched him raise the dead. And all of a sudden, God gets down on his knees and starts washing your feet. I can't take this. God ain't washing my feet. I'm going to wash his feet. Simon was just... And Jesus said, you, you don't understand it, but I'll, I'll help you. All right, let's read a little further here. Verse 5, Peter said, you'll never wash my feet. Jesus said, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Simon said, well, don't do my feet, do my hands and head. How many of you like a guy that goes all in once he's in? <laughs> he, said, he said, if you don't let me do this, we can't walk together. He said, wash everything I got. Bless his heart, I love Simon. All right. He said, you're not clean. It's talking about Judas. Verse 12, he washed their feet, put on his coat again or his garment, sat down and said, do you understand what I just did to you? You call me teacher and you call me Lord. You're right. I'm the Lord of the universe. If I, your teacher, washed your feet, I want you to wash other people's feet. Now, does this mean me and you need to set up a foot washing service? Like my hard shell Baptist friends. No, no, it's not about a service. But what Jesus, now listen to me. Their feet were dirty. He just, and just in about two hours, he's fixing to be arrested. In the morning, he'll be crucified and suffer terribly. If you're fixing to be arrested and you're fixing to be crucified, what are you thinking about? How will I get through this? How am I going to handle this? What will, you'd be thinking about yourself. But notice this, Jesus wasn't thinking about himself. What was he thinking about? Their feet are dirty. I'll wash them. 
You see how he got his mind? His mind was not on himself and his needs. His mind was on what? They, they need this. Listen, it wasn't earth-moving stuff. It was just simple stuff. Their feet are dirty. I'm going to wash them. And then he said this. Now, I, I did this as an example. Y'all start doing it to each other. What did he say? Start watching people. Again, we're not talking about brain surgery. We're not talking about buying them a house. Just watch people. And do the things that will help people. Just start helping people. Start meeting the immediate needs of people. And anybody can do this. All right, let me help you. Most of the things that people need, we can do. And they don't cost much. Most of the things people need can be done with words. I'm not, I'm not going to wash people's feet. We don't need that anymore. Wash your own feet. I mean, well, we got shoes and socks. I'm like, you don't even need to wash them but once a month. There they are. Most of the things that I, when I go out in public and I look at people, see, I can't look at people if I'm thinking about how pitiful I've got it. I can't think about people if I'm consumed with what I want. But if I'm watching people and I'm saying, what's going on with them? What's happening with people? I've noticed most of the needs they have can be fixed with words. More than people need the dust washed off their feet, they need the discouragement washed off their hearts. I can do that with words. I can talk to people. Uh, I love Isaiah chapter 50 verse 4 that says this. The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned that I might know how to speak the right word at the right time to him who's struggling. To know how to speak to people, encourage people. Uh, it's just watching people. It's just, you just walk your life, just look at watching people. But what do I have to do before I can watch people? I get to get me out of my eyes. I get to get myself off my mind. And Jesus said, I want you to do this. Let's finish this. He said, I want you to do what I've done to you. Great example. Verse 16. I love verse 16. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant's not greater than his master. You want me to ask you a simple question? Are you above Jesus? Am I greater than Jesus? I mean, if you think I'm greater than Jesus, you know what he meant by that? If I can do it, you can do it. If I can meet the practical needs of people, you can do it too. If I can wash feet, you can wash feet too. And then here's the great verse. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. Now, your Bible might say blessed. It's the Greek word makarios. It's translated blessed or happy. So the Bible tells me in John 13, 17, if I want to find true happiness, I got to do two things. I got to know what to do and then I got to do it. And Jesus just told me, you start meeting the practical needs of people and you'll find true happiness when you start doing it. You want to be happy? Get your mind off yourself. Take care of other people. Start doing just, just the daily stuff everywhere you go. And listen to me. <clears throat> you don't have to know them either. You don't have to know who they are. The, the world is my parish, as the great preacher once said. I can go in a restaurant and see people that need something. I can stop folks on the street. You're just, you're just always looking around. Go out of your house every morning and say, I'm going to bless somebody today. And you just live your life looking around. What can I do? And feel free to interrupt anybody's anything at any time. I've never had anybody fuss and cuss and be ugly to me because I tried to be good to them. Amen. It's just, I don't know what's so hard about this. Jesus said, I'm going to tell you how to find true happiness and here it is. All right, listen, I'm going to disagree with my preach friends right here. To follow Jesus means to change something. It's a great transition when you start following Jesus. Well, here's what religion says. Quit cussing, quit smoking, quit drinking. That's fine. I'm proud of you. No, to follow Jesus doesn't mean to quit smoking, drinking, and cussing. To follow Jesus means to start doing what he did. And what did Jesus do? He went about 
his day-to-day life, doing good, healing everybody who's beat up by the devil, which is about everybody in our land today. And he cared for people. Turn me to John chapter 4. Let's just stay in John here for a little bit. John chapter 4. This is where Jesus is teaching people how to follow him. All right. Jesus is tired. He's just walked 30 miles. He's tired. And he's hungry. Probably hadn't eaten in 24 hours. He's hungry. So they come to the little town he wanted to come to. The disciples didn't like his little town. He came to this little town. And uh, every little town back then had a well, a central well, maybe in the center of town. That's where he went and got you water. It's also the social hangout, sort of like a bar being a community now. So they're at this well, and the, the boys, they go to get dinner, find something to eat. Jesus is just hanging around the well. And all of a sudden, the town slut comes to the well. And she was the town pass around. She slept with everybody in town, and that's just who she was. Well, and you got to understand, Jesus was Jewish. He was born, he was Israel, Israeli. Well, prejudice back then was, it was much worse than it is today. Do you understand what I'm saying? Our prejudice today is very minor league compared to what it was back then. Even today, prejudice in America is very minute compared to prejudice in the Middle East. And they're very prejudiced back then. And Jesus was Jewish, which was considered the top race. This woman was considered the lowest race. She was Samaritan. And buddy, this crowd did not speak to that crowd. Matter of fact, they called them dogs. They had their racial slurs, just like we got them now. And so this woman comes up and Jesus walks over to her and he said, uh, would, would you get me something to drink? And she says, your people don't speak to us. She's just shocked that he even walked close to her. And uh, he didn't fuss at her for a lifestyle. He said to her, this lifestyle of jumping from bed to bed, man to man, you're never going to find what you're looking for. He said, follow me and you'll find what you're looking for. He didn't fuss at her. He just said, you're never going to find what you're looking for living like you're living. Follow me and you'll find what you're looking for. All right, so the boys, they get dinner and they come back and they're shocked. They can't believe he's talking to this chick. Excuse me, this lady. All right, verse uh, 27. At this point, the disciples returned. They marveled that he talked with this woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek? I mean, you don't go up to God and say you shouldn't be doing this. They knew not to mess with him. All right, she leaves her water pot. Verse 31, the disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat. It's time to eat. Come on, we got done. Let's eat. He said to them, verse 32, I have food to eat of which you do not know. And uh, verse 35, well, let's look at verse 33. The disciples said, did somebody bring him something to eat? They're looking for Hardy's bags. I mean, they're clueless. They, come, they said, you know, they're so shocked that he's talking with this woman. And finally she walks off. They said, let's eat. He said, I got something to eat you don't know anything about. So they're looking around for his empty bags. They don't know what's going on. And he said to them, my food is to do the will of my father. What was Jesus doing? He saw a woman. She was not upper class. And instead of thinking about his own need, which is I am tired and I am hungry, he said, that woman needs somebody to love her. That woman needs to find a better way to live. And instead of me sitting here thinking about how tired and hungry I am, I'm going to go over and help her. My food is to do the will of my father who sent me. That was the will of the father. So they come back and they're carrying on about dinner and whatnot. I want you to watch what Jesus said. Verse 35, do you not say there's still four months, then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. They're ready now. You're not talking about farming? What did Jesus say? Could you get your mind off your food for about five minutes? 
and look at the people. Could you quit thinking about what you want for about three minutes here and just look at the needs of people? You know what he's doing? He's making disciples here. And uh, they learned the lesson. And guess what? They found great happiness in doing what? Quit thinking about me all the time. And let me start looking at people. And let me start, when I see, anytime I, I just watch people all the time. And when you see a need, jump in there. Jump in there and fill it. If a child looks lonely, make them happy. You can practice this where you live. I don't get one witness out of Jesus or work at the house. All right, girls, when you go in the house, instead of thinking, he don't meet my needs. Me, my, me, my, my, me, I, me, I, my. Once you walk in that house saying, what can I say to him? In a good way. Boys, instead of going in the house wondering if dinner's ready, won't you go in that house thinking, I am so blessed to have her. What can I say to make her feel good? How can I let her know I appreciate her? What can I say to get her laughing? Bring flowers, that'll do it. Poor lady, she'd had a terrible day. The washing machine busted, flooded the floor. The kids made a mess. She comes, husband comes, he knocks on the door, standing holding flowers. She just starts crying. She said, the washing machine blew up the kids and now you come home drunk. This is the worst day of my life. Here. <laughs> listen to me, guys. Listen, you want to follow Jesus? Quit worrying about whether the 13th heaven is coming down to earth. Get off that junk. Look at your wife and say, what can I say to help her? How can I help her? Girls, look at your husband and say, that man's struggling. How can I help him? How can I encourage him? What can I say to let him know I appreciate him? Quit fussing at your kids. If they need correcting, correct them. Look at your kids and say, what can I do to help encourage them and cheer them through? How can I let them know everything's going to be all right? Quit fussing at your aged parent. Quit fussing at us old people for being old and cranky. It's supposed to happen. What can, I, what can I do for them? Bring me something to eat. What can I do for them? <laughs> Quit looking at teenagers who've got purple hair on one side, pink hair on the other side, a bone run through their nose and a chain hanging out of their lip thinking, what an idiot. <laughs> Talk to them. Talk to them. Find out what's going on in their world. Let's start following Jesus the way Jesus lived. The deal is... <laughs> As Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you got to do what I said. And what did Jesus say to his guys? Lift up your eyes. Get your eyes and your mind off you and get it on those kind of people. Yeah. And then whatever she needs, you do it. All right. I'll tell you what let's do. One more scripture. Can I do one more? I promise I'm done. You give me one more, I'll quit. All right. Philippians chapter 2. Turn to Philippians 2. I'm telling you, we've got to get our minds changed. All right, I don't know if you knew this or not, but different books in the Bible have different themes. The book of Genesis is the book of the beginning of creation. The book of Psalms is the book of worship. The book of Galatians is the book of freedom. The book of Revelation is the revelation of the last days. The book of Philippians is the book of joy. If you want to find joy in life, read the book of Philippians, do what it says. I mean, this book's just got joy on every, in every sentence, it's got joy in it. And it's the book of joy. And uh, we find the secret to true joy in this book right here. I want you to look with me in Philippians chapter 2 at what the Bible says about finding the joy of Jesus. 
Now, we're going to start in a verse, but it's a terrible translation. I'm going to have to adjust it a little bit for you. Verse 3, Philippians 2, 3. Let nothing be done through what? Selfishness, selfish ambition. What did the Bible say in 2 Timothy 3, 1? When men become lovers of self, it makes for stressful situations. So let's quit doing the selfish thing. Let's quit being self-centered. Let nothing be done through self. But in humility of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Terrible translation. You know good and well you're not supposed to think that other people are better than you. In God's kingdom, nobody is better than anybody. And nobody better than you, but nobody's below you. The Bible said God is no respecter of persons. Everybody is level at the cross. Let me give you a better translation. In humility of mind, let everybody put other people's needs ahead of their needs. That's a better translation. Now, verse 4 says this. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests or needs. All right, listen, you need to take care of yourself. Take a bath once in a while. Brush your teeth. If you outgrow your clothes, buy you some new ones. I mean, you need to look out for yourself. If you get tired, rest. Take a vacation. But watch what it says, verse 4. Let's read it again. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for what? The interests of other people. What's he saying here, verses 3 and 4? Get your mind off yourself. Now take care of your stuff. But take care of other people's stuff. Meet other people's needs. Now look at verse 5. Let this mind, I'm telling you, we've got to change our minds. Let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who although he was God Almighty, he didn't demand to be treated like God, but he became a servant and served people. You know what the mind of God is? People don't need to treat me like God. I'm here to serve people. There was Jesus rules in the universe. He created everything there is. He's the ruler of the universe. But when he stepped down to this earth, he didn't come down here and demand that people treat him like God. He was the servant. We saw last week, he was born in a barn. There was God could have been born anywhere he wanted to. But he didn't come to be treated like God. He became to care for people. Now what does the Bible say? You get the same mind in you. Follow, I'm going to go deep. You ready for me to go deep here? I'm going to do it but once a day, I promise. Followers of Jesus should have the mind of Jesus. And the mind of Jesus is simple. But listen, it's not that I'm a loser, I'm a nobody. Knock that mess off. That's inverted pride. It's simply this. I'm going to get me off my mind and I'm going to serve people. And I'm going to care about the people. It's that simple. All right. I'm going to quit. My boys tell me I need to start using technology. I'm going to use technology. I made a fancy graphic all by myself. I'm fixing to show it to you in a minute. I'm techno savvy. You fix and see. I'm in the Deep Springs Baptist Church. I was preaching at a little country church years ago, and I'm walking through the church one day, and in the little Sunday school room, there was a chalkboard, and somebody had written something on the chalkboard. And I just stood there and stared at it, and I said, I've never seen that before, but that's the truth. That's great scripture, right? It's right out of the Bible. And I saw that thing, and it was the order of life. And let me tell you what it said on that chalkboard. Three simple words, and there was an acronym. Y'all know what an acronym is? It's a Volkswagen. They make acronyms, Volkswagen acronym. <laughs> It's when you put words together and get one word out of the first letter. And they, this is what they had written. They had one, two, three, and they were number one, two, three. It's number one said Jesus. Number two said others. Number three said yourself. And I looked at that. Of course, the acronym was joy. And it is the order of joy. What does the Bible teach through and through? You want joy? Put, go ahead and put my thing up there, boy. I want them to see how good I am at this technology stuff. There it is. <laughs> I did that myself. I forgot to put the numbers up there, though. Let me tell you something. You want happiness? You want a true joy and happiness in life? 
put Jesus in front. Put him in charge of your life. I don't mean go to church. I mean put Jesus in charge of your life. Who goes number? Who goes second? Put, up, put other people's needs in front of your needs. And then, of course, take care of your needs too. You're number three. Congratulations. We're number three. That's where we need to be. Oh, you see that right there? You know what this book says? Go out and start doing that tomorrow. Watch what happens to you. Yeah. This is the serendipity of joy. And if you, you say, well, I want to be miserable. Okay, just get them upside down. Put yourself up in number one. Watch what happens. Instant misery within a few moments. And then you get so big you can't get out of the chair. I'm telling you. Now let, let's, let's experiment. You want to experiment with this thing? There was the word of God should work in everyday life. This stuff's got to work in everyday life. We don't just come here and play religious games. This stuff's got to work at home. Jesus works everywhere. He's the Lord of life. So let's do this. If committing your life to that's too much, would you do this for me? Let's give it one day. I mean, you ain't nothing to lose. Just try it one day. Let's make it Monday since Monday's coming up. And everybody talks about how bad Mondays are. You know why Mondays are bad? Because, you know why Mondays are bad? Because I, that's why Mondays are bad. You got yourself on your mind. You get up tomorrow and you, I'm going to do this. One day I'm going to see if God tells the truth. You get up and I say, today, everybody I see, I'm going to ask, what can I do for them? What can I say for them? What, how can I, if you can't do nothing else, smile at them. Buy somebody something. Just start small and take it to it. Buy a bag of lollipops. Go around and pass them out. Once you take some of that junk you got for Christmas, go give it to somebody that needs it. Don't bring me your ugly necktie. I got enough. And you just spend the day. Look at the person you're married to. Say, what can I do for them today? You don't have to buy them flowers. Go steal them some. I figure if it's on the right of way, it's fair game. Just ask yourself, I'm going to spend one day and I'm not going to think about me all day. I'm going to put my junk to the side for one day and I'm going to spend this day following Jesus. And every person I run into, I'm going to show them kindness, mercy. I'm going to do something for somebody. I'm going to go out of my way and do something. Somebody going to be happy because of me today. And after one day, if you weren't blessed, I'll give you money back. Let's go a little bit further. If that makes for a good Monday, y'all are so smart. Try Tuesday. But as I said, if you, uh, if you decide you want to go back to misery, you can always go back and put yourself first. That's, you done fell out the goober tree and hit your head on every limb on the way down if you make yourself miserable. Yeah. All right, I got drunk a long time ago. <laughs> long time ago. And I remember waking up the next morning, I was hurting so bad. I'd stuck my head where the people stick their rear ends half the night. No, I mean, y'all ever, anybody ever hung over? Raise your hand. God Almighty. <laughs> what kind of church have I got here? These are my kind of people right here. <laughs> Let me ask that again. I can count this better. Has anybody ever been sober the whole time? That'd be easier. <laughs> All right. And I woke up next my I was just feeling so bad. You know what I said to myself? I said, self, if somebody else had done this to you, you'd whoop them. But you did this to yourself. Congratulations. You know what this book says? If you're miserable, look in the mirror. Right. If you want to know the joy of Jesus, look at him. Yeah. And find somebody to help. Lord Jesus, I want to praise you and thank you so much. The secret to everything we're looking for in life is in this book. The, 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 the road to eternal life is in this book. It's, got the, it's the cross. 
Thank you that the cross is the road to eternal life. You're the greatest carpenter ever lived, Lord Jesus. You built a road all the way to heaven out of two boards and three nails. Glory to God. Thank you that you show us how to find eternal life in this book. Thank you that you show us how to prosper in this book. Thank you that you show us how to find peace in this book. Thank you that you show us how to find true joy in life in this book. I pray we'd have the wisdom to obey you. I pray for every person in this room. Dear Jesus, this is my one life. This is not a dress rehearsal. This is my life right here. I'm only getting one chance. I'm living it. I want everything you died to give. If you died so we could have family, friends, eternal life, peace, hope, joy, and freedom, I want everything you died to give me. I want everything you died to give them. Thank you that your word shows us. Thank you that your word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path to get us where we want to be. All right, today we've been on Jesus, dear, on, on joy, dear Jesus. I pray for every person in this room. We've got to search our hearts now, sort of dig down in there and, and look at our time mentally spent. Who's on my mind? Thank you that you bless me. You meet our needs. You feed us. You care for us. You give us nice homes. You give us nice clothes. But I was not put on this earth to live for me. I was put on this earth to follow you and serve people. Pray for everybody in this room that we make a decision today. I'm going to up my joy level by being like Jesus and serving people. And the next person I run into looks like they need something, whether it's a hug, a handshake, a word of encouragement, $5, they're getting it from me. I trust you for that. Thank you for your goodness. We praise you and bless you because you've done everything we need for a great life. Now, Jesus, not just us. I want to pray for everybody in this room also. You told them, boys, lift up your eyes. Look out there. The time is ripe. The people are ready. This coming year, I pray for this church that this will be the year where we lift up our eyes. And it's not just about us sitting in this building. It's about everybody sitting in this community. We're going to lift up our eyes unto the community this year. Thank you. Let's go, Lord Jesus. All the glory and praise in his precious name we pray. Amen.